I want to tell you that, that we're not quite done yet talking about political stuff. Some of you were like, yay, it's over, right? It's over. Uh, the votes have been cast, right? The, uh, the fingernails have been shooed off. Uh, the tensions have risen and fallen and risen and fallen again. Um, and uh, we've lost the sleep and all of that good stuff. And, and now we're thinking, hey, it's over. It's not over. Sorry. You have to deal with me for one more week. And then some of you were thinking, okay, but, but Matt, um, now that it's over, we can get back to normal. Be honest. How many of you were hopeful? How many of you have ever uttered something during this process that, boy, I can't wait till after Tuesday the 8th because then things will get back to normal? You want normal? See, here's my challenge for you then this morning. Listen. Normal sucks. Normal is no good. Normal is broken. Normal is what has us in a place where our country is so deeply divided. Normal is, frankly, normal is what we've been dealing with. Amplified, but that's normal. I'm here to tell you this morning that, that as a church... We need to be ready for something that's not normal. We need to be ready for something that's abnormal. We need to be ready for, and the word I want you to wrap your head around, we're going to deal with it this week, we're going to deal with it next week, and it is going to thrust us into our Advent series. The word I need you to get comfortable with is simple. It's revival. We don't want normal. We want revival. And when I say we, I mean you and I and this church. And I pray other like-minded churches in the community. We are ready for something different. And so today we're going to talk. We're going to talk post-election. We're going to deal with some things. And, and, uh, and, but I want to tell you before we even get into that, that there's something I want you to know. There's something I want you to get your head wrapped around. Judah, I got nothing. There you go. It's this big idea that we are ready for something great, but don't get confused. That was decided well before Tuesday night's election. See, I don't want anybody to... So people have asked me this week as we're talking about this, they're like, so, you know, Matt, how much did your sermon change from Tuesday morning to Wednesday morning? And the reality is, not very much. Some of the application has changed, right? Some of the so what has changed, but the content hasn't changed because God's word hasn't changed, okay? And so I need you to know that we are ready church. Listen to me. If you are, if you are actively attending church here, there's no reason for you not to know this already. If you are visiting here, listen carefully, and when I say listen carefully, I say listen carefully because this is critical for you to understand about who we are. Because frankly, it's going to be awfully uncomfortable for you if this isn't what you thought you signed up for. But we are ready for revival. 
We are ready for something bigger. We are ready for something better. I don't know if you've, if you've figured this out or if you're understanding this momentum, but guys, we are done with Sunday morning faith. We are done with Sunday morning Christians. We are, we, we are well past this idea that I can wake up on Sunday morning, I can put on my spirituality like, like, like a nice suit, and I can go to church, and I can come home, and I can take it off, and I can hang it in the closet because there it will stay wrinkle-free and ready to go for next weekend. We are past that. There is no room for that here. God is moving. We are moving with him. That is what it is. And that was decided well before the election. Maybe it'll help us. Maybe the results will get in our way. But that was decided well before. So I'm going to ask you to, to come with us. And we're going to talk here a little bit today about some big post-election thoughts, some truths that were true regardless of who won this election. And we're going to deal with these things. But first, I need you to know, and I want to acknowledge... I'm still not working. Go on to the next one. I want to acknowledge that there were a group of people um, that were able to meet on Monday and fast and pray for this election. Um, we, were, we joined with multiple other churches in the community to do this, um, to fast and pray on Monday. And, and we met three times. We met before work. We met over a lunch hour, excuse me, and we met in the evening. Um, and there were many of you that told me that you couldn't make those times, but that you would be fasting and praying in spirit, uh, not necessarily with us that day, but fasting and praying. And I want to tell you this, okay? Um, one, I say this not to brag, um, but I say it as a challenge, that when we met together morning, afternoon, and evening, that Blessed Hope Church was by large, by, by a large number, the best represented church. I would imagine that if we added up all of the folks from Blessed Hope Church that showed up each time, that we outnumbered all of the other people from all of the other churches combined. Now, I'm not telling you that because I want to pat us on the back. It might sound like that. I am pretty proud of us. Um, so, I mean, I'm human. I'm, I'm proud of us. That's, that's a big deal. But this is why I tell you that this morning. I actually debated on whether or not I would share that little tidbit. Um, because it sounds prideful, and I don't mean it to be, but here's what it means. Listen to me. It means that if something is going to happen in this community, at least right now, the way things shake out, church, we are leading the charge. And that's okay. Frankly, that's a role we should revel in. The, the fact that God has blessed us to use us in that way is a good thing, but we need to embrace it. If we are sitting back and we are waiting for somebody else to lead the charge, we will be waiting for a long time. We are leading the charge. But we got together and we prayed, and this is what we prayed. It was simple. It was, if my people, 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is God's recipe for revival that he shares in Scripture, and it's simply this. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. You'll notice that in that prayer, nowhere does it tell us who we have to vote for, right? But that was the main text that we prayed as we gathered on that Monday. And so here's what I want to tell you about that, okay? I'm certainly not suggesting that um, Donald Trump is president because we fasted and prayed. 
I can't tell you that. I can tell you that our president is our president because God has chosen him to be our president. But when we gathered to pray, you know who we focused on? We focused on us. We focused on ourselves. Because that's what this calls us to do. This says, if my people, Christians, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and we humbled ourselves. We prayed prayers of humility. And turn from their evil ways. And we confessed personally. See, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because if you're ready for revival, then this is the model for you. We humbled ourselves. We prayed. Some of us out loud, even though we don't do that, because we'd humbled ourselves and decided it's not about us. And we confessed personally. We confessed for the church. We confessed big things for Blessed Hope. We confessed big things for the church in Benton County and in Vinton. We confessed big things for the church in America. We confessed a lackluster faith. We confessed a Sunday-only faith. We confessed. And we asked God to hear us, and we asked God to restore our land. And when God restores, you know what he's restoring? It's his kingdom. So I'm going to ask you to join us in that process. But this is what happened as we gathered together to pray. This is, this is the big thing. Uh, Judah, take me to my truths. Next one. There you go. All right. So we've got five post-election truths or thoughts that I want to share with you uh, and the scripture that comes with them. And these are things I need you to understand. And uh, for some of you, you're going to be challenged. Okay. Um, some of you, I'm going to ask you, let's do this. I know you don't want to right? But let's talk politics one more time, right? Some of you are like, I'm so tired. It was the commercials and we focused on the commercials and then we focused, and then after the election, we focused on everyone's, you know, I love how everybody got really articulate after the election. Do you notice that? Like, like, I mean, people that I know that have trouble stringing two sentences together, especially on Facebook, all of a sudden have these page and a half dissertations about the state of our country. I get it, we're tired. But come on, let's do this together and, and let's, let's work through this. So uh, election truth number one, post-election truth, this is an every time truth, simply is this, God is in control. Is there anybody here that was confused about that? Then here's my challenge for you. Stop acting like it. It is what it is. If we are not confused about God being in control, then there is no excuse for us to act like God isn't in control. Some of you aren't sure if I'm talking to you or not. Go back and look at your Facebook, Facebook feeds from the last six months and tell me whether or not you were acting like you were sure that God was in control. If God is in control then let's act like it. Here's what it says in Daniel 2.21, the first part. It says, he controls the course of world events. You're like, no, Matt, that's not true. Science has told us that seasons change and that other things happen because of the rotation of the planet in relationship to the sun and all of these. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, science has told us that. 
right? Because that's the design that God has set in motion. God controls everything. He controls nature. He controls the events of the world. And then this is the part we have to wrap our head around. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. God is in control. That's why we have to be careful to say that Donald Trump is president because 81% of evangelicals, by the way, if you didn't know this little tidbit, you can fact check me. It's a big thing, this election. Um, 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. But we can't say that Donald Trump is president because 81% of evangelicals voted for him and, and, and that God honored our prayers for Donald Trump um, and therefore he's president. We can't say that. You know why? Because I prayed just as hard last election. And last election, God raised up another king or another ruler that wasn't in his will, that wasn't lined up with what he wanted. But that was still God's decision. See, we, we, we got to be really careful about the way we do this. God is not more in control today because of our presidential election outcome than he was four years ago. It's not like God lost control for a while and now he's wrestled it back. No. God is in control and he raises up and he puts down rulers as he sees fit. See, there's something we need to understand about sovereignty, okay? And it's this simple fact that if God is in control, then we respect and trust his sovereignty. Let me read for you out of Romans 8. Just focus in here on what this has to say in Romans 8. We'll start in 28, and it says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. We know that, right? That's the one we put on the cards when people get hurt, when they have surgery, when something bad happens, we give them that verse. Okay, but we got to finish the thought here. We got to finish through on this. It says, what shall we say then about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who could ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for all, won't he also give everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and I was raised to life for, and he was raised to life for us, and he is stitting and pleading in the place of honor at God's right hand. I want you to understand this. This is what this says. This says that God is in control. When things go your way, guess what? God is in control. When things don't go your way, guess what? God is in control. God is so in control, God has done so much for you, that no one can even accuse you of anything. No one can bring a charge against you. God says, it's all mine. I own all of it. If it's true that God is sovereign, then it behooves us to act like God is sovereign. We don't wallow. We don't gloat. We trust. We don't know what the end will look like. It's the dumbest thing I've ever said. Thank you for not amening that. <laughs> I was going to be even more worried about us. I'm going like, to come back here where I was standing. We know exactly what the end will look like. We don't know exactly how we'll get there. But we know the outcome. If God is sovereign, 
then we need to revel in his sovereignty and we need to accept it, period. We move on. Truth number two, we are foreigners living in a mission field. We discussed this in the series we did over the summer about politics, but I'm going to remind you here in case you've forgotten, you don't belong here. Assuming that you are a Christian, assuming that you are a Christian, this is not your home. Some people have this idea that we are dual citizens, that we have dual citizenship. This is, in fact, I've, I've heard pastors preach about dual citizenship. Now, if you've ever said that, I'm not calling you out. I'm just calling you out. I'm not mad at you, but it's wrong. See, if you have dual citizenship, this is, says we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Christ Jesus lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return. But we are citizens of heaven. You are not a citizen of this. I'm not talking legally, yes. Legally, you have citizenship, but I'm talking spiritually. See, dual citizenship, if I have dual citizenship, um, that means I belong equally to both. If I am a citizen here and I am a citizen in, uh, oh, let's go Canada, that's popular these days. And, and so I... If, I'm, I should have gone something else. If I have dual citizenship, then I equally belong to both places. And, and here's where it gets tricky. Oh my goodness, hear me. When I am in each place, then I'm obligated to follow the laws of the land that I live in. When I am here, I'm obligated to operate and act as a U.S. citizen. When I'm there as a dual citizen, I am obligated to operate and act as a citizen of whatever country that is. We don't have shared citizenship with heaven. You are a citizen of heaven. That is where you live and where you work. That is your home base. This is your mission field. That's what makes this next truth really work for us. Okay? This, we are on mission. Look at what God says in 2 Corinthians. He says, uh, it starts with 17, which I didn't put up there, but it says you are now a new creation. That means when you are a new creation, it says the old life is gone, dead, gone, the spiritual life is finished, the new life is born in its place. That, by the way, is your citizenship into heaven. Your old man is dead. Your new man is born in its place. You are now a new spiritual creation. That's what it means to be born again. That's why we said last week there is no such thing as household salvation. This is the decision that you've made to follow Jesus and your old life dies and your new life comes in its place and here you are. You are now a citizen of heaven. Therefore, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That is why you exist. That is it. That is why you are here. Stop thinking of yourself as having dual citizenship and start thinking of yourself as being active military. 
maybe without the rifles, which I know is going to get me in trouble here in this room. I'm not saying don't have them. I'm just saying you, your mission is different. Man, we're, we're a strange group, right? Have you ever... But no, 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 here's what I'm saying. It's like, think of this. When we send soldiers or ambassadors, when we send people as representatives of the United States to a foreign place, we send them to a foreign place and we ask them in that foreign place to serve the people that sent them. See, that's what we're really asking, right? We send someone to a foreign place and we say, here in this foreign place, you are now a representative of the ones that sent you. You don't belong here anymore. You're on mission here. Our soldiers, our ambassadors, the people that go serve elsewhere, trust me when I tell you, they're never confused. They're never confused about whether or not they have dual citizenship. They know what's up. Ask any of our veterans that were up here, any of them that served overseas. None of them were ever confused thinking they had dual citizenship. They knew why they were there. And this is what God tells us we're here. He says, we are here. You are here because God has given you a task of reconciling people to himself. You are ministers of reconciliation. You are givers of grace. Now, I'm going to poke some of you. Yeah, we're going to do this. I need to ask some of you if you've been more interested in being a minister of reconciliation about pleading with people to come back to God or if you've been more interested in defending your position, if you've been more interested in answering your insults, Because frankly, guys, you can't have it both ways. You just can't. You cannot be about this truth that says you are a minister of reconciliation. Reconciliation, of course, which is this huge thing that God, that, that's Jesus. Jesus has worked to reconcile us to God. He sits at the right hand of the Father as mediator between God and men. We get to be right with the God of the universe because Jesus serves as our mediator. And then when we become Christians and when our citizenship is in heaven, he says, hey, I'm not bringing you home. There's no recall here. I'm leaving you in the field. I'm leaving you in active duty because you are to serve as a minister of reconciliation. You are to be a giver of grace. You are to plead with people. Come back to God. Tell me how I'm a minister of reconciliation when I call the group that makes up over half of our country stupid. When I call people idiots. When I tell them to smack themselves in the face because they're so stupid that they can't even think right. How am I being a minister of reconciliation when I act like this? Now, some of you are feeling really wounded right now because some of these very likely could have come from your Facebook posts. 
Some of you could have launched them. Some of you could have liked them. Some of you could have shared them. Trust me when I tell you, I don't know who you are. I just see them come across my feed. I ignore them. So I'm not meaning to poke at you. However, if you feel convicted by that, you, you let God do what he needs to do. If you disagree with me, that's fine. I'll ask you to hear me out, and then if you disagree, you disagree. But listen to me. Listen to me. If your number one job is to be a minister of reconciliation, is to give grace, is to share truth, is to plead with people to come back to God, how is that helping? I mean, I get it. It's funny. I mean, I do. I understand. Like, I'm, I'm human. You see him, you chuckle. But what about that says, I want to help you reconcile with the God of the universe. What about that says, hey, hear me about Jesus. And those were some of the more mild ones. Listen to me. You represent the God of the universe. When you act petty and spiteful, you cause God to look petty and spiteful. Now, you are not making God petty. You are not making God spiteful. But church, get this. If we serve as an ambassador to the God of the universe, that means we represent him to people that don't know him. I mean, I really want you to drill down on that. The people that we are representing God to, they don't know him. They haven't met him. They don't have a personal relationship with him because they haven't submitted to Jesus. You know, we know God because we know Jesus. That's what Jesus tells us. They're in the upper room and he says, Tom's like, we don't know where we're going and we don't know how to get there. And Jesus is like, but you do know. You know God because you know me. You've seen God because you've seen me. And we are talking to a whole slew of people who don't know God. And so their picture of God is us when we say, hey, trust us. Trust us. And then we act petty. And we act spiteful. And we act snarky. And we say, we're just kidding. Or or worse yet, maybe we're not. I can't conceivably argue that my main goal is a minister of reconciliation if I won't act like it. That just is what it is. Let's just leave it at that. Let me tell you this, though. 81% of evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. A guy who, listen, let's be honest, said some awful things. Who did some awful things that in any other election we would be thrilled to not vote for? I mean, that, that just is what it is. But yet, 81% of evangelicals voted for him. We know why. We know why. Yet, to the rest of the world that doesn't have the same belief system that we have, what do they see? 
they see a group of people who claim to love God above everything else supporting a gentleman who has made some sexist and racist comments. I'm not saying he is a sexist or a racist, but the comments certainly were. And you'll have to admit, if the other candidate had made those comments, I mean, we would have jumped all over them, right? We would have jumped all over those. We would have thrown them in her face. We would have said that her followers were idiots because they, I mean, come on, you've seen how we are. So that means that to those that are outside of Christianity, okay, the only explanation they can come up with, the only explanation they can come up with is that we're stubborn and that we don't care, that we don't love, that we're only interested in the things that we're interested in. Listen to me. You've heard me talk about my brother and sister-in-law before. I love Mike and Carrie. And, and they love me. I'm sure of it. But yet, even though they know me, they know my heart, and they love me, because they don't have the same framework, because they don't have Jesus, because they don't know God, to them, I'm an enigma. They can't begin to understand why I would make the decisions that I've made. It is completely foreign to them. And some of you have those relationships also. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Okay? I'm going to ask you to think about your behavior now moving forward, not backwards. Backwards, you know, confess what you need to confess, do what you got to do, but your behavior moving forward. I'm going to ask you to be on the side of reconciliation. That's why you exist. That's why you're here. That's why Christ, that's why God has not called you home at your conversion. You are a citizen of heaven. He has not brought you home to heaven. He said, you stay where you are. You serve where you are. You are a minister of reconciliation. He says, you speak for me when you share Jesus. You speak for me when you try to reconcile people, when you say, come back to God. So I'm gonna ask you, Moving forward, be that person. Be the person who is so far above reproach. I'm not saying tolerate injustice. I'm not saying you have to be on the side of wrong. But there's a difference between standing up for right and there's a difference between taking cheap shots. You, you know that. There's a difference between standing up for right and there's a difference between being snarky. There's a difference between calling sin, sin, and calling people names. And I'm going to ask you to live so far above reproach that people will have to actively lie about you to make your behavior out to be anything other than love. We talk revival, 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 revival. If my people, who are called by my name, that's us, will humble themselves, make you less, and make God more. Make less of yourself, will humble themselves and pray and turn from their sin. And he says, I will hear and I will heal. You're like, but Matt, I can't get through to these people if I'm not snarky and hard to get along with. That's the only thing they respond to. <laughs> Seriously? Come on. It's the God of the universe who's giving you this mandate. And you're like, yeah, but Matt, I've tried everything. Come on. Come on. makes these next two things pretty important. 
Oh, well, I guess I'll share this with you too. We've been talking about it. But here, here's my problem. When I act like a jerk, see, I mean, I think we're pretty clear about who I voted for, okay? And it's not because I think Donald Trump is an awesome guy. But because I'm concerned about religious liberty. I'm concerned about my freedom to tell people about Jesus. I'm concerned about unborn children. I'm concerned about those things. I'm concerned about the, the, the muddying of morality where God says there's a clear line. I'm concerned about those things. And so I vote because I'm concerned about these. Now, those things, listen to me. Listen to me. Those things are why other people think we're idiots. Do you, do you really track that? Like, I vote, I, I, I vote in a certain direction because I'm worried about unborn children. People that are outside of God, people that don't know God, look at that same issue and say, man, that guy is backwards. Why is he voting against women? We understand that. Right? We understand that. So, so this issue of what God has to say is a natural stumbling block. That means if you are coming to know God, you are going to have to stumble over. You are going to trip over Jesus. You have to trip over. If you think that you're right with God and you've never tripped over Jesus, then you need to take a long look in the mirror. You can't be right with God unless you've tripped over Jesus because Jesus is the way you get right with God. That's why he says, he says, look, uh, he's the stone that makes people stumble. You have to trip over Jesus to get to God. And, and, and the issues, but listen to me, if I've got people tripping over my arrogance and my snarkiness and my attitude, then they're able to reject all of it, never even getting to Jesus. If they reject Jesus, that's on them. That's on them. If they can't get to Jesus because I'm acting like a Yahoo, I got to an answer for that. It is what it is. Here we go. Because of those truths, because that we, we don't live here, and because we're on mission, there are things that we have to do. Uh, and this is a point that it's like, well, this was an easier point um, to drive home, or it was, it, was, it was a more important point to drive home when the election was going to go a different way. But here's the deal. We still give leaders their due. Romans 13, 1 and 2 says, look, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Let me ask you this. I don't want to live here. I don't want to dwell here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wickedness, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Let's imagine it's four years ago. For those of you that were actively involved, let's imagine it was eight years ago. Some of you have some confessing to do. Because this isn't a new mandate because the person that we think should be president is president. This is, and, and by the way, I'm making a grand assumption because 81% of evangelicals, I, if you voted differently, I'm not mad at you. I hope you're not mad at me. We're gonna be okay, right? We'll hug it out later. Okay, let's wait a little bit. I'm a little sweaty, so you might want to wait. 
a good chunk of time after the service, but we're going to be okay. But here's the deal. This isn't always mandate. This isn't always mandate. Pray for your leaders. Submit to your leaders. You give leaders their due. Why? Because they're there because God put them there. Daniel 2.21, we saw it earlier. God raises up rulers and God puts them away. We submit to our leadership, whether we personally like them or not, whether their, whether their um, positions and stances are what we agree with. We never dishonor God. When it, all, when it comes down to I follow God or I follow a human leader, I always follow God, you should too. But respect the authority that God has given our leaders. Some of us need to confess that from times gone by, and some of us are need to, gonna, gonna need to get on board with that right here. And then there's this next thing that we can't forget about either. Christians, this one's on us to deal with this. It says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Listen to me. Four-fifths of those in the evangelical church wanted this gentleman to be president. Oh, you better act like it. It is incumbent on us to pray. And I, you know, we, we focus on this, but in general, for our leaders in authority. In fact, how many of you still have one of those prayer cards that we passed out every week during the political series? Raise your hand high if you got one of those. That is not nearly enough of you. What that tells me is that many of you have been shirking that responsibility since July when I passed those out to you. Maybe you weren't here. If that's you, you get, a, you get a free pass. Okay? Listen, go to the rack in the back next to the offices. There's a stack of prayer cards. Um, this one is easy to find. It says pray for, prayers to pray for those in authority. It's got an American flag on it. How much easier is that? Grab one. Start making daily intercession for our leaders. Start praying seriously for our leaders. You know Why? Because God's word tells us to. And if we're going to actively ignore God's word, you know what we call that? We call that sin. You know what you can't have while you're actively sinning? Revival. Can't have revival when we actively sin. When we refuse to do what we know God tells us to do, it's sin. I need you to pray. Whether, whether, whether you are in love with these people or not, we pray. We don't just pray for those that we like. We're called to pray. Okay? We get this last thing. We serve as peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I don't know about you, but that seems like a moniker that I would like to proudly wear. And this one, Romans 12, 18, it's a kick in the gut for some of us. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. One of the things I saw 
making the Facebook rounds. I hate Facebook. <laughs> but I love Facebook because every once in a while there's a, a cool cat video. <laughs> I mean, let's get the internet back to what it should be for. Cat videos. Celebrating the Cubs. Yeah, okay, anyway. If Hillary Clinton wins, here's what it says. We're going to party like it's 1776. And it's a picture of um, one of the uh, colonial soldiers standing over the dead body of a British soldier. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Not threaten revolution if I don't get my way. And you know what's funny is that most of us are sitting here and we are so confused as to why people are rioting and going crazy right now. Except whether we intended to follow through or not, the other side of the table made the same threats consistently. But not us. Come on. As much as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with all people. That just is what it is. Listen to me. Again, this is, this is a Carrie and I thing. You know, oftentimes when Carrie will say or do something, um, I'll look at her and I'll say, come on, you're better than that. Okay? And many times when I make mistakes, three, four times a day, she'll look at me and she'll say, come on, Hans, you're better than that. Church, we're better than that. We are ministers of reconciliation. We speak for God when we share the gospel. And when we are spiteful or when we're hurtful or when we do other things, we cloud the issue. The issue is Jesus. Stop letting the issue be something other than Jesus. Matthew 5 tells us, I ask the praise team to come up, prepare to close us out as we, we're going to sing um, about God being the God of this city, okay, and how we need to respond to that. But here's what I want to encourage, here's, I, I guess I just want to leave you with this. Matthew 5 says this, it says, you are salt and light. We've discussed this before. Salt and light. Salt, in that time frame, salt was something that specifically was used to slow decay. That's why you use salt. Salt is a preserving agent, and when something was naturally rotting, something was naturally decaying, something was going to go from what it should be to, to something that was worthless and needing to be thrown out. By the way, that's the world we live in. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. Good job, guys. Right? But this world is falling apart. It has been since the fall. Okay, we read in Hebrews, we read places that the world is groaning, waiting for the moment where, where it will be over, where the earth will be remade. The world is decaying. And church, we are the agent that is meant to preserve it. We're the salt that's meant to preserve it. Don't be surprised that the world is decaying. 
It's not the world's fault that it's decaying. You don't look at lost people and get mad at them for being lost. You don't look at a decaying culture and get mad at it for decaying. You don't look at people that don't know God and get mad at them for acting like they don't know God. They're our mission. That's our job. We are ministers of reconciliation. We are the preserving agent for the world that we live in. Now, somebody that knows more than I do can tell you how it is that salt preserves food. Somebody that, that has a, a, a greater understanding of these that could tell you exactly what it is that salt does to preserve food. I don't know, but you get the metaphor. But here's what I do know. I do know what the church does to preserve the world and the culture that we live in. We make Jesus primary. We pray. We work. We serve. And we do everything in the name of Jesus. I'm going to ask you to do this before next week. And if half of you are gone next week, I, I understand. I get it. I'm going to ask you to do this before we meet next week. And again, next week we'll talk revival again, and it'll launch us. We'll talk kingdom of God, and it'll launch us into our Advent series. But here's what I want to ask you to do seriously over this next week. And we're going to have a time for this during the service next week. I'm going to ask you to spend this week confessing where you need to confess. If you have not been salt and you have not been light and you have been making other things other than Jesus the issue, if you have been a stumbling block that is keeping people from getting to Jesus ever, I want you to spend time confessing that. I have been. I'm going to ask you to do that as well so that when we come next week, we come with clean hearts. When we come next week, we come with clean hands and we are ready to receive what God gives us as we move forward. This is a critical time for the church. And when we met for prayer, many of us simply prayed for Vinton, for Shellsburg, for the surrounding communities. We prayed for God to give us these cities because we want them. We prayed that there would be nobody in these communities that hasn't heard and responded to the truth of the gospel message. That's a tall prayer. It's too much for me, but God can respond to it. But listen, church that's leading the way, that's us, only when our hands are clean. Spend the week confessing. Pray, fast, do what you have to do, but come with a clean heart, come with clean hands next week as we worship together. Would you stand? And sing. Again, they're not just words that we sing. I hope, I, I, I really, I hope that, that you're with us on this. I hope you understand when we are singing that there is no one like our God. That there is nothing like him. And that he is the God of this place. And that there are great things still to do. I hope that you understand that truth. And then church... I hope you've got it figured out that you are part of the equation. Because the great things that God is going to do here, I have no doubt, are going to be through the prayers and the work and the service of his people. The people that are called by his name, that will humble themselves and pray 
that will turn from our sin so that he will hear from heaven and he will heal our land. That is on us. I love you. I am thrilled to be your pastor and I will look forward to where we're going um, as we continue to deal with this in the weeks to come. Have a wonderful rest of the day.